Good morning. Good morning and welcome to all our guests, visitors, and radio listeners today. Uh, before we get on with the announcements, I'd like to invite all the children to come forward that are going to sing for us this morning. The flowers on the altar this morning are in honor of Dorothy Preter's 96th birthday on October 15th. Dorothy's there in the crowd. Happy birthday, Dorothy. Today is Pastor Appreciation Sunday, so please take some time to thank our pastors for all they do for here at church. Pastor Joel's Sunday School class will not meet today. We'll resume next Sunday. The first week of the Connected Bible Study went very well. Uh, It's not too late to join any of the classes listed in the bulletin. On a sad note, uh, the church was notified last night that Adrian Cook passed away. Uh, No arrangements yet, of course, but... uh, Keep the family in your prayer. And uh, Sharon Colson asked me to announce also that please keep bringing those shoe boxes uh, for the shoebox project. Uh, as they get them, they put them in storage, and we'll get them delivered when the time comes. But please keep bringing them shoe boxes. Now we want to invite the rest of the children forward for children's chat. Hi, Doug. Can you hold those for me? Guys, I'll come down here. Come down here. Good morning. How is everybody today? Can you guys come down here so you guys can see? Because Miss Shelby is going to do an activity with you guys. Do you want to be my big helper? Yeah, it's really easy. Do you want to be my big helper? All right, come up here. Reagan, do you want to be my other big helper? All right. So you guys can sit down for right now. So, good morning. How is everybody today? Good. Can everybody show me your hands? Can everybody wiggle their fingers? All right. So, everybody has two little hands, precious little hands. What did you guys do with your hands this morning? Brush your teeth. Brush your hair. Everybody's got clothes on, so everybody got dressed. Did everybody 
eat breakfast? No. 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 So some of us did eat breakfast. Did anybody say their prayers? I did. Yeah? Well, if we look down in our hands um, and we see all the things that we can do with our hands, our hands are always busy. They're opening doors. They're writing things down. They're playing with friends on the playground, pushing a friend on the swing. Our hands do a lot of different things throughout our days, and our hands are very important. In the Bible, it says that our hands are symbols of power, strength, and protection. And think of a mommy and daddy. So when a mommy and daddy have a newborn baby, they cradle a baby by using their hands. Maybe they hold the baby like this and they protect their head and they protect their back. So it's something similar to that when God uses his hands. He protects us and he's very strong and he's always with us, kind of like mom and dad are, right? So he always protects us. Well, I've got a, a craft here. So you're going to be one person that gets to draw. Reagan, can you come over here? All right. So you're going to sit behind Reagan. Reagan, hold the plate on your head. You're going to sit behind Reagan. You're going to sit behind me. You guys want to go? Here's a marker for you. And here's a highlighter for you. So if you want to stand up, I'm going to sit down on the step. All right. I want you guys to draw a house and draw a tree, but you can't draw it. I can't? You can't draw it. You have to let Reagan draw it. So Reagan needs to hold the pen. Can you let Reagan hold the pen? Reagan, can you hold the pen like you're going to draw? And put the hand up here, and then you're going to take Reagan's hand, and you're going to draw a house, and you're going to draw a tree, okay? So here, give me this. Okay, can you draw a house? a house and it kind of resembles a tree. So, all right, everyone wants to sit down. So, if you guys want to put the lids back on those for me. So, what about these two houses? Do they look the exact same? No, because they were done by two different people's hands, Reagan's hand and my hand. But did we have control over our hands? No. You know what? Connor, and what's your name, honey? Alana. Connor and Alana were supposed to represent God. God guides us and leads us in our lives. And when we have Jesus in our heart and we allow him to take the pencil and we allow him to make pretty pictures in our lives, then these pictures are going to look different because my life is different from Reagan's life. So therefore, my picture looks different than Reagan's picture. So just remember that each of us have different lives, but God guides both of us. Okay? You guys want to pray? All right. Dear Lord, I want to thank you for protecting us and for leading our lives closer to you. Take your hands and guide us this week and the weeks to come to make our directions lead back towards you and your arms. In your son's name we pray. Amen.
As, as the children return to their seats, I would ask all that are able to stand and join me in the call to worship, which is taken this morning from the book of Psalm, chapter 25, verses 1 through 11. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Here are the names of those lost in our service in the last week. 
in Tennessee, Specialist Jacob Bishop, 35, from Lenore, Tennessee, in Guam, Machinist Mate Second Class James Dyer, 23, from Scott City, Kansas, in North Carolina, Staff Sergeant Michael R. Van Fleet, 36, from Hubert, North Carolina, in Idaho, Technical Sergeant Peter K. Rains, 33, from Albany, New York. Before we go to the Lord in prayer this morning, it's uh, my joy to introduce our Gideon speaker for this morning. His name is Mr. Richard Tangeman. Uh, he's here from Gideon's of Oglace County to share with you about the ministry that the Gideons perform. And, uh, and I just after he's done speaking, I'll share with you how we can as a church support them. So, Mr. Tangeman, thank you for being here this morning, and we're so glad to hear from you. Good morning. Can you all hear me? That's good. All right, so the Gideons are a group of business and professional men. We've accepted Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, and we serve here in America and around the world. We are in 203 countries around the world. Look it up on your iPhone, see how many countries there are. We still have some work ahead of us. We are placing about a million copies of Testaments and full Bibles every five and a half days. So when you get up from your nap, get your calculator out, and you can figure out how many we place in a year. It's a substantial number. So how many remember getting a Red Testament when you were in the fifth grade? Yeah, only a few of us because about 30 years ago, they uh, wouldn't allow us to be in the school anymore. So we had to change our tactics, and now we use an orange-covered testament and call it a sidewalk distribution testament. So now the schools work with us, and uh, the kids come out of the school, and as long as we're on the public sidewalk, we're okay to go. Unfortunately... We can't get into schools. And they wonder why the schools are going downhill. I'll give you a short testimony about a little girl that was in the fifth grade in Brazil. A friend of mine had an opportunity to go on an international uh, trip and place Bibles. So they were in Brazil. In Brazil, it's about 90% Catholic and their parochial schools. So this was an all-girls school. They were placing the testaments. And he noticed one little girl was off to the side. So they finished their distribution, and finally this little girl came up and kind of tugged on his coattails and said, Sir, may I have a testament? And he said, What grade are you in? And she said, I'm in the sixth grade. He said, well, you should have received yours last year. And she said, I did. And she showed him this book in her hand, and it was about half gone. And he started to scold her, and he said, young lady, if you're going to treat your testament that way, I can't give you another one. And she said, sir, when I'm done with my studies and I'm on my free time, I study my Bible and I memorize its pages. And when I go home on the weekend, I tear out those pages I've memorized and share share them with my family. The Bible was, or the Testament was about half gone. Doesn't the word say, hide my word in your heart and share it with those around you? That little girl knew what she was about. I might ask a question. How many pages could you turn out? Thank you, Pastor. 
Thank you so much, and thank you for sharing about the importance of, of God's Word, because it is so important, and the, what you do as Gideons is trying to get the Word of God in, into our hands and make it as accessible as possible. What a, what a ministry that is, and what a blessing that is. There are ways that we can support the Gideons this morning. Uh, first of all, our offering this morning, our designating offering, is going to support the Gideons of Auglaise County. So just as you would on any given Sunday, any money that you place in the offering plate that's not designated for another purpose will go towards the Gideons ministry and their support. In addition to that, uh, you, have a, you should have an insert in your bulletin. I actually don't have one up here with me because I stole a copy of the bulletin before they were inserted. But there should be a copy of that uh, in, your, in your pamphlet, or excuse me, in your bulletin. It gives you more information about how to support the Gideons and, and how to support them more than just this day, but throughout the year as well. So I encourage you to take that and take a look at it. Um, and thirdly, the, way, the best way we can support them is through prayer. So let's take a moment, pray for the Gideons and their ministry, as well as lift up other concerns we have before us today as well. Father God, we thank you so much for, uh, for the Gideons and for the work that they do to make the Word of God accessible, um, Lord, in, in many public places. Uh, thank you, Lord, for, for the importance that they see in, in your Word, because it is, Lord, our, our rule of faith, our foundation that we build upon, and, and it's your Word that helps us to know about the love that you have for us. And so, Lord, for a world that desperately needs to hear the good news of your gospel, I pray that the Gideons would be able to go forth and be able to share that good news with as many people as possible. I pray for their, Lord, financial support so that they can purchase more copies of the scriptures and be able to distribute them, Lord, at schools and businesses, hotel rooms, and other, other opportunities that present themselves, Lord. Um, and also we ask that you would provide for them spiritually, strengthen them as individuals, strengthen them as a group, Lord, help them to stand strong in their faith so that they can, when they have the opportunity to share the gospel themselves, would be able to do so in a bold and winsome way. Lord, I ask that you would instill us, in us a sense of, of, of a passion, a desire to share your word like the Gideons, Lord. Help us to, as individuals, to have a desire to, to not only give the word of God out to someone, but also to allow the word of God to, to be such a part of us that we live it out and, and demonstrate it through our actions as well. Lord, we lift up the many concerns that we have before us this morning. Uh, first and foremost, we think of the family of Adrian Cook, and we pray for your peace and comfort to be with, him, be with them, Lord, uh, and, and allow, Lord, uh, your presence to be made known uh, during their difficult time here. Lord, we lift up others in our, in our church and our community who are uh, in need of healing. We pray that your hand will be upon them. We pray for those who, Lord, need peace in the midst of uh, a difficult situation. We pray for your presence to be there. Uh, in the midst of it. And in all things, Lord, we pray that your will would be done. We pray these things as Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Thank you so much for being here with us this morning. I invite those who are able to stand with us and sing number 404 in your blue hymnals, The Solid Rock.
may be seated. As I mentioned just a moment ago, our offering this morning is going to support the Gideons of Auglaise County. Uh, so I'd like to pray once again for, for the Lord's blessing on their ministry as well as this offering we're about to take up this morning. Lord God, thank you so much for, uh, for the Gideons and for the work and ministry that they do. I pray this offering that we're about to take up, Lord, would be a blessing to them as well as a blessing to the ministry, Lord, of, of this church and in this community. We ask that you would bless these gifts that we're about to give and may you use them for the work of your kingdom. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Right, those who are helping with the offering to come forward at this time. to remain standing for our scripture reading this morning. It comes from 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. 
This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who, de- no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that when you have heard from the begin- what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in him. You may be seated. Before we uh, open up God's Word together, I just want to take a moment and just uh, say thank you to the children's choir that we had this morning. I thought that was really wonderful. Thank you to Eric and Kay and all the Sunday school teachers who made that happen and the practice they put in these last couple weeks. And if you liked it, come back again next week because the uh, older Sunday school classes are going to be offering us a song again as well. Uh, what a blessing it is to hear children you know, sing God's praises and, and including them as part of the service. Um, you know, you've, we've often heard it said that children are the future of the church, but I think that's a little bit of a, uh, it's a little misleading because children, youth, teenagers, we all have something to offer uh, the church here and now, and we just were able to witness that this morning. So what a blessing, what a blessing that was. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I thank you that you have given us your word, that uh, we know the truth because you have revealed it to us, and that it is the truth that sets us free. As we turn to your word now this morning, I ask for your spirit to guide us, uh, give me words to speak, and may you open up all of our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us this day. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you were with us last week, we, uh, we kind of, as we've been working our way through the letter of 1 John, we kind of took a little bit of a turn, uh, and, and the, excuse me, the letter took a little bit of a turn in terms of its, its, uh, its, its feeling and, and uh, the perspective. For the first several weeks of this sermon series, we've been talking a lot about our relationship with God and the positive uh, aspects of that. But last week it took a little bit of a turn and, and John began to warn his readers and also warn us about the dangers of loving the world. And so last week we talked about that from an individual perspective, that the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life are all things that, that manifest themselves in us when we, when we choose to love the world rather than love Christ. And so last week as we looked at it from an individual perspective, this week we're going to look at it from a more corporate perspective. The warning last week was for you as an individual to guard your heart and your mind, to, to choose to love Christ more than you love the things of this world, the things of this world that are opposed to the things of God. And so this week, John continues that theme, but he makes a little bit of a turn. And, and instead of talking to us on an individual level, he's looking, talking to us as a church as a whole. Notice he begins here once again with dear children, the plural. He's talking to all of us, all that belong to God and are part of his church. And so we're going to be, and so he has some uh, warnings for us here as well. And as we look at them, we're also going to be encouraged on how we can remain in the truth. He begins here by talking about how this is the last hour, right? And, and you know, we read passages like that and, and you know, maybe there's some warning, ball, warning bells that go off in our head, right? Are we, are we in the end times? Are we living in the, in the last hour? What does it mean for John to live almost 2,000 years ago and, and tell his readers then that they were living in the last hour? Did we, did we miss something? Uh, I think anytime we talk about the, the end times or, or, you know, explore the book of Revelation like we're doing in my Sunday school class, those questions naturally pop up. Um, and I want to encourage us to think, you know, when we talk about the last hour, when we talk about the end times, 
Scripture, I think, is pretty clear that the end times isn't something that is happening in the future. It's something that is happening now. And that's not all doom and gloom or doomsday. It's, it's a reality that we've been living in the end times for almost 2,000 years now. Christ's death on the cross, his resurrection is what, in a sense, ushered in the last days. And so now we're living in between Jesus' first coming and his death and his resurrection and his second coming, whenever that may be. And so it's accurate for John to tell his readers back in the first century that they're living in the last hour. And it's still just as true for us today because we still, too, are living in the last hour. We're still uh, anticipating the return of Christ and we're looking forward to when he fully establishes his kingdom in this world. And so, you know, the, the sense of, of last hour it communicates a sense of urgency, a sense of imminence, that it could happen any day, any time now. Jesus could return before I'm done talking this morning. Jesus could return tomorrow or it might be another 2,000 years. We just don't know. But until that time comes, we are living in, you know, in a sense, the last hour. And, uh, and so we need to live accordingly. We need to live in response to that. The very, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when Peter gave the first sermon, he quoted the prophet Joel in Acts 2.17. It says, in the last days, God will pour out my, excuse me, misread that. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. See, that happened on the day of Pentecost, you know, two, almost 2,000 years ago now. The Holy Spirit was given to God's people to guide us. And we'll talk about more what that means here in just a moment. Uh, But that is, you know, a sign that we're living in, quote, the last hour. So God's spirit has been given to us. And the reason God gives us a spirit is to to guide us and help us to know the truth. Because John's going to warn us here that people are going to come and they're going to try to lead us astray. He uses another very loaded word for us. And he he refers to Antichrist. And he uses it in two different ways here. He, he talks about the Antichrist in a singular sense, but then he also talks about many, many Antichrists in a plural sense. When he says Antichrist, using it as a singular, he's talking about that future world ruler, uh, world leader that's described in the book of Revelation. You know, the, uh, the, the figure that has been popularized in in, in Fictitious works like Left Behind and other, other end times kind of scenarios. Uh, but, but what he's talking about here, the focus of this passage isn't the Antichrist, the one who will come at some other time. He's talking here about Antichrist plural, those who are currently active in the world today. And the word Antichrist simply means opposed to or against Christ. And so in its very basic sense, we're not talking about, you know, some sort of you know, evil manifests like it's popularized in movies, but we're talking about those who are opposed to the things of God, those who, who are against God's will in this world, whether that's through teaching, through leading people astray, or simply those that, that work in opposition to what God is trying to do in and through his church. False teachers, unfortunately, have always been a part of the church. You know, many pretend to be Christians, but are, but are not. And, and John says here that the presence of false teachers is once again a sign of that we are, in fact, living in the last hour. And this isn't just something that John made up here. Jesus himself in Matthew 24 warns us that many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Right? This is something that this is not a new phenomenon for us today. This is something that has been happening even since before Christ came. You get false prophets like those that are described in the book of Jeremiah who who are not speaking the true word of God. They are, they are just speaking what the kings and those in power want to hear. They say peace when there is no peace, right? That, that is a, a, uh, a condemnation that God uh, gives to those false prophets in the, in the book of Jeremiah. And so again, this is not something new, but it's something that has always been present. Where God's people are, there's going to be those who come to try to deceive and lead people astray. Paul warns Timothy, this young pastor, uh, about this very thing in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 4 verses 1 through 5. He says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and to view the appearing and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. 
correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So his charge to Timothy is to preach the word, be grounded in God's word. And then he tells us why that's so important in verse 3. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. See, Paul knew and John knew and Jesus knew that, that people, would, uh, people would come and try to deceive God's people. Try to deceive the church. And we fall, we fall for that all the time because we, like the people that Paul is describing in 2 Timothy, we want to hear what our itching ears desire to hear, right? We want people to tell us what is easy. We want people to tell us what is comfortable, what doesn't challenge us. Challenge us. The problem is if we are truly in tune with the gospel and if we're truly listening to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, it is going to challenge us. It is going to push us out of our comfort zone. And that's not always easy to, to take in. And so, in, and so instead, of, instead of running away from that time when the Holy Spirit is convicting us, instead of trying to just avoid those parts of Scripture that make us uncomfortable, we need to embrace them and we need to submit ourselves to God's authority and follow where He is calling us to go. Back in 1 John, John points out that, that these people are, are simply counterfeits of the truth. Right, the existence of a counterfeit implies that there's something true and real that it's trying to, to replicate, right? How many of you ever seen a counterfeit $3 bill? Nobody? Why don't people counterfeit $3 bills? Because they don't exist, right? It makes no sense. It, is, it, it serves no purpose to counterfeit something that is not true, something that does not exist. So counterfeiters spend their time trying to replicate, trying to mimic what is true. And that is what the enemy does. That is what false teachers do is they, they try to replicate, they try to mimic what God is doing in this world, but, but twist it and distort it. See, Satan, he counterfeits the truth and he's a deceiver and a liar at his very core. Once again, looking at Paul in Second Corinthians chapter 11, he warns us of this very, he warns the Corinthian church of this very reality. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verses 12 through 15. He says, and I will keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us and the things they boast about. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then that his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. See, Satan, he tries to, he tries to make it look good. He tries to make it look appealing, right? In the, in the garden, right, he pointed out the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to Eve. And the first thing she noticed is that it was appealing to the eye. And it seemed good to eat, right? He tries to, he tries to mask his distortion. He tries to mask his lies in a, in a veil of truth. But, but when we buy into it, we realize when we, when we bite into that fruit, we realize what it is, that it is deception. It is all lies. And so that's what John is warning us back in first John chapter two. He's warning the church. He's warning us about the reality of false prophets and false teachers and so as he warns them, there's something that we can gain from it. Not only do we want to be aware of false teaching, aware of, of what the twisting of the truth really looks like, but there's something there for us to, to learn so that we can prepare and, and, and guard our hearts and minds against that false teaching. So John here says there's three things that we can be on the lookout, three signs of a false teacher. And first is that they separate themselves from the church. He says that they went out from us, but they, but they were not one of us. See, one of, the, one of the dangers of false teaching and one of the, the, the hooks that often uh, false teachers will use to try to deceive people is they try to, they try to get you so narrowly focused on their teaching and their teaching only that they, that they don't allow you to read or, or study anything else or even study Scripture on your own. 
I know of churches and in, in, in different groups that, that will tell you, will come right on and say, don't listen to that pastor. Don't listen to this teaching. Don't use this translation of the Bible. Only, spe- only, only listen to what I have to say because I've got it all figured out and, and I will tell you what you need to know. See how dangerous that sounds? See how, how deceptive that can be? If, if only one person and one person only is the arbiter of truth. Right, And so we need to be careful. We need to guard ourselves and not allow ourselves to fall victim to that sort of thinking. And we can, in, in evidence that their, their teaching is, is, is false and that they're, they're moving away from the truth of the gospel is that they've chosen to separate themselves from the church. A true test of salvation, a true test of, of, of God's work in the world is enduring faithfulness. A long-term commitment and a, and a trajectory of life that is towards Christ. Think of the parable of the soils in Matthew chapter 13, right? There were four types of soil listed there. There was, there was the, the, the good soil, which took up the seed and, and produced fruit. But then there was the seed that fell on the hard path and Satan came and, and, and snatched up the seed before it could take root. There was the seed that fell on the shallow ground, right? Where it, it, it took root, it, it began to grow, but never took root. And so when the, the hardships and the trials of this life come, it, it withers and it dies. And then there was the, the soil that was filled with thorns and weeds, right? The, the word of God took root at first, but eventually was choked out by the concerns of this life. See, we want to be like that good soil, not falling away by the wayside, but but allowing God's word to take root in our lives and grow to a lifetime of fruitfulness and faithfulness. Right? And, and what I'm talking about here is, is uh, when I talk about people walking away, I'm not talking about periods of, of doubt or periods of disobedience. Right? All Christians go through that. The most faithful Christians, the, most, the people that love God the most, struggle from time to time with sin in their lives. We struggle with doubts and we have questions and, and there may be periods of, of life, maybe even extended periods of life where we, we doubt our walk with the Lord. That's not a great place to be in, but that happens, right? We struggle with that. And, and it's, I'm not saying that is what is, this, is the case here. What I'm referring to is that, that willful, that intentional disobedience, that, that intentional turning away from the Lord. That is what we need to be careful of and protect ourselves from. Unfortunately, there's a lot, of, a lot of Christians in this world who look and act like non-Christians, and there's also a lot of non-Christians who look and act like Christians. And it's very hard from our, our human perspective, our limited perspective, to tell them apart, which is why it's so crucial to, to be in the Word and to, to trust God in our own lives as well as entrust others to Him as well. And that's why it's so important for us to be connected as a church, as a body of Christ, as the family of God. We started the Connected Bible Study this week, or most of our groups did, right? Some, some are starting this week. But this first week of the Connected Bible Study reminds us of the importance of being connected to Christ and by extension being connected to one another. As God calls us into a relationship with him, he calls us not to an individual relationship, but he calls us into the body of Christ, into the body of believers so that we can encourage and equip one another. You want to protect yourself from, from walking away from the Lord? You want, to, you want to safeguard your heart and your mind so that you can follow Christ with everything you have? Surround yourself with other believers who can equip you and encourage you and hold you accountable. That's what's going to keep, you, keep us going strong for the long run. The Holy Spirit's presence in our lives through our relationship with Christ, but also that relationship with each other. Anytime uh, someone comes along and says, we don't need the church, we don't need to be connected to Christ in that way, you know, that teaching is not from God. God desires for his people to be in relationship with him and with each other. And so we see false teachers who, who go out from the church and separate themselves and teach something that is contrary to the gospel. And, and by extension, the second thing we see is that they, these false teachers deny the faith. They deny the most basic truths of Christianity. John spells it out here for us plain and clear, those who deny Christ, deny that Jesus is the Christ, are liars and the truth is not in them. Right? The most basic test of orthodox faith, the most basic test to to know whether or not a teaching is from God or from somewhere else is what they do with Jesus. 
Right? That those who deny that Jesus is the, tr- is, is the Christ cannot truly be called Christian. And so I want to share with you what I believe are the essential doctrines of the Christian faith. There's a whole lot of secondary and tertiary issues that, that Christians, good, faithful Christians, can agree to disagree on. But there's, I would say, three things that are essential that need to be there in order to be considered truly Christian and truly orthodox. The first is the incarnation of Jesus. He is both fully God and fully man. The Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, came and took on flesh and lived among us. He was both fully God and fully man. Those that deny that, that Jesus was either just God or Jesus was just man are missing something. Jesus was both fully God and fully man. The second essential Christian doctrine is Jesus' death, his atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus was fully God and fully man, and he truly and really gave his life for us on the cross. He didn't just fake it. It wasn't just a good moral story. Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross for our sins. He took the punishment that we deserved upon his shoulders and died the death that we deserve. And third is the resurrection. He came, he lived among us, he died on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. The resurrection where Jesus conquered sin and conquered death, a true, real, physical resurrection. Christ walking out of that tomb on that first Easter morning. If we're missing that, we're missing something essential about the Christian faith. And so we need to believe in the incarnation. We need to believe in his atoning sacrifice, his death for our sins. And we need to believe that he truly rose from the grave. And we can know these things because it says here that that we've been given an anointing so that we may know the truth. John reminds us, he says, I'm not teaching anything new. He says, you already know this. You already know this truth because you've been given an anointing. This anointing he's referring to is the Holy Spirit. It points to the... Uh, the word anointing is a, is a, it points to the practice of anointing kings and prophets and priests in the Old Testament. They would anoint them with oil on their heads as a, as a symbol of the beginning of their ministry. David was anointed by the prophet Samuel when he was anointed, when he was set apart as king of Israel. And we see that over and over again in the Old Testament. And so, so we take that image of anointing with oil to refer to the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We already read in about Acts chapter 2 in Pentecost when God gives his spirit to all believers. We've, and, and, and let me make that clear. All believers, not just a few, not just pastors and missionaries. All believers have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he, he gives it to us, the Holy Spirit, and dwells in us so that we may have a knowledge of the truth. John chapter 14 and 16, uh, Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit and he teaches us that the Holy Spirit is given to us that, that he may teach us, he may remind us of everything Jesus said, and that he may guide us into all truth. See, that's the, that's the significance of the Holy Spirit in our lives is he helps us to understand who God is and what he's done for us. That doesn't mean we know or understand everything. There is a whole lot that I don't know. And there's a whole lot that I will never know in this lifetime. But what the Holy Spirit promises us, what, what these scripture promise, passages promise us, is that we may not know everything ourselves, but we know the one who does. Through the Holy Spirit, we have a relationship with Christ, and he is the one who God has, has appointed to, to, to reveal the truth of scripture to us. In Colossians chapter 2 verses 2 through 5 it says my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one will be no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments for though I am absent from you in body I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Notice here, Paul is saying that, that all of the wisdom, all of the knowledge, all of the, the treasures of those things are found in Christ. It's our relationship with him, and, and it's revealed to us in his words so that we may, we may know. And that is what the Holy Spirit reveals to us. You know, that's why I think it's so important for us as Christians and for you sitting here listening to me on a Sunday morning to, to hear me preach with a Bible in your hand whether that's your own Bible you bring with you on your phones or the pew Bibles, because I want you to not just take my word for it, but to be in God's word yourself. 
Because I could, I could stand up here and feed you a line, right? I could, I could come up here and, and tell you all these wonderful things that I think you should hear, but if it's not coming from God's word, don't listen to me. Right? It needs to be from grounded in scripture and from God's word. That's why I think it's so important for you to follow right along with me. You know, and this is where we are, we are given the truth. This is where God, how God has chosen to reveal himself to us. And, and, and as we read scripture, the Holy Spirit will guide us and remind us of those things. In John 17, 17, Jesus in his high priestly prayer says, sanctify them, speaking of his disciples, speaking of us, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So false teachers, they go out, they separate themselves from the church, they deny Jesus. And the third thing that that we see, the implication of all of this, is that false teachers then, by implication, deny the Father as well. To deny the Son, Jesus Christ, is also to deny the Father. Jesus tells his disciples in John 14, 6 and 7, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. See, no matter what, what faith we claim to have, no matter what God we claim to worship, if we deny that Jesus is the Christ, we're denying our, our ability and our access to know God. Scripture teaches us very clearly that there is one true God, and it's through Jesus that we can know him. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, There is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, that man, Jesus Christ. See, it's through Jesus that we can have a relationship with him. And it's because of Jesus, his death and his resurrection, that we can be brought near to God. And that's, and that's why if we deny Jesus, if we say he is not who Scripture says he is, then we are denying our access to the Father as well. And so what does this mean for us? How can, what can we take from this passage? First of all, we, need to, we want to be that good soil. Remember the, the, pa, the parable of the soils? We don't want to be that rocky soil where, where the, the word never takes root. We don't want to be that hard path where, where the enemy comes and scoops it up before it makes any impact. And we certainly don't want to be that soil with, with the weeds and the thistles growing up around it, or the concerns and other priorities in our life that don't leave time for God. We want to be that good soil where God's word takes root and we can pre, be faithful in what we do. And so there's a few ways that we can be we can cultivate that good soil in our lives. First of all, I just said, be in the word. It's so important for us to, to know the truth of God's word in order to protect ourselves from any sort of false teaching or false prophets. Right? We talked about the counterfeits. Right? The way that we can detect a counterfeit is by studying the real thing. The way that we can know the truth is by know, know what it means to, be, to know God is by being in his word and studying the truth of God's word. And also surrounding yourselves with believers to encourage and equip you. Don't fall for the counterfeit. Don't fall for the lies that, that Satan tries to feed us, whether it's false teachers in the church or the lies that he feeds us in the world. Don't fall for it. Stay grounded in the gospel. Be that good soil. And, and in all things, be faithful to him who gave his life for us. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that in Christ, we have been redeemed and that you have, um, you have given us your word so that we may know you and, uh, and know the truth, which will set us free. Help us to be grounded in the gospel, Lord. Help us to stay true to who you are, that no matter what, Lord, that we would remain faithful. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, I invite you to stand and sing our, our last song, which is Thank you. 185, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross.
Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.